Hello all and welcome to Nothing Worth Saying. We've got a general election special for you. Boris Johnson managed to achieve what he'd been hoping for and perhaps even more by building a majority of 80 seats and winning 43.6% of the vote. So how did he do it and what are the consequences? We've got a crack team from across the political spectrum here to discuss that. So Ellis, why don't you run us through what you think were the key factors to start us off? Well, the main factors are Brexit and Jeremy Corbyn. Um, I don't think there's much Labour could have done on Brexit. I think the indecision cost them a bit. However, they were being outflanked on both sides by both the Lib Dems and the Conservatives. And regarding the leader, Corbyn was, Ipsos Mori put him at minus 60, and he was almost 20 points below Boris Johnson to be Prime Minister. So I think at the end of the day, as politics becomes more presidential, that really hit Labour hard. So would you say that Labour won the argument and Corbyn was bad, uh, just disliked as a personality? Or do you think it's a combination of both those factors? I think John Pienaar was saying for the BBC, he said, if this is what winning the argument looks like, I wonder what losing the argument is. I, I do think the main issue was Labour in this election. The Tories went up, I think, 1.2%. Even the Lib Dems went up 4%. The main reason why Boris Johnson got such a strong majority was because of Labour going back 7.8%. Mm-hmm. So why do we think that Corbyn was so disliked by the public, especially in those seats in the kind of the red wall in working class areas? The only, the only places that they've really managed to hold on to seats are metropolitan areas such as kind of around London, um, around Liverpool and Manchester, and then some other kind of university towns across the country. Why do the we tune, think people the tune. the tune as well, of course. Why do we think that Corbyn was so disliked outside of those areas? I think there's a number of reasons, though. There's one, the fact that he just kind of looks a bit like a, a nice old bumbling granddad. And a lot of people kind of couldn't really get past that. He just seemed, I mean, like when we were watching the, the first ITV debate, we were saying that his glasses were really wonky and it just didn't help at, at all, does it? It doesn't help with his whole incompetence image that he, he has going on. And I think that incompetence boils down to the part, like everything, like the anti-Semitism debate it boils down to his incompetence because regardless or not, if, if he is an anti-Semite, he was still like, you know, he should still sort that out if he's trying to be a leader and he never got it sorted out. It took eight months to expel known anti-Semites from the party while it took him well, like 48 hours to expel uh, Alistair Campbell. Yeah, I, I think polls and polls show, polls show the majority of people think Corbyn's an anti-Semite. However, the, the same poll also says that Boris Johnson is not a racist. I think his unpopularity has many strands to it. Uh, firstly, he was never trusted to manage national security. Uh, for instance, his response to the Salisbury poisoning uh, really impacted his approval rating. Um, he wasn't trusted on the economy and he even polled behind Boris Johnson on public services. And he presided over a party where the majority of MPs never really regarded him as fit to be prime minister. And then he didn't even have any moral authority because of what you were saying, the anti-Semitism issue in the party. And then you then you got on to Brexit, where he was not straight with the people on that. He he sort of dithered around before he came to a position, and that made him look not very decisive at all. Yeah, and the yeah. position itself was indecisive itself. It, you know, that was a dither in itself. And I can I can see why Labour chose that position because they've got well, if we just go with you know revoke blah blah blah, that's going to uh, annoy a lot of the Labour lead base, le- uh, le- Labour leave base, and also the Lib Dems already have that. But then if we go fully support Brexit, well, that's going to annoy, you know, a lot of like the more central areas of our party. So I can see why they went with their position, but it just didn't work out because both sides saw it was as crap, basically. 
yeah, the main issue is the way he did it, I think. Yeah. Because they, Labour lost an equal share of votes to the pro-Remain Liberal Democrats and Greens as they did to the Tories. They didn't appease both sides. Mm, I think you know it, who will? Who? Daddy Blair. Wow. I, I do think it's funny, though, the um, like momentum reaction afterwards has been like, oh, well, it's the uh, centrists have forced uh, Corbyn into this Brexit position. And you're like, well, in that case, isn't he just a bad leader? Which you can <laughs> <laughs> hey, he should just stick to like, his guns. <laughs> yeah, so it's like either you think he's a bad leader and he was forced into this position by people lower down than him in his party, or he's the problem. So it's it's like momentum's in like a funny place now where they're not sure how to defend Corbyn effectively. You look at what the Labour the sort of Labour Leave policy was, as in that got absolutely decimated in the European elections by the Liberal Democrats and the Brexit Party. So would it really have made that much difference, do you think? Either way, if they'd either had a different leader with the same Brexit policy or had um, had a different Brexit policy with the same leader, I think either way, they wouldn't have done very well. They needed to change both. Yeah, I think there was, a, for me, there was a lot of bad factors at play. Corbyn, the Brexit policy, um, some of the individual policies themselves, I think some of the more radical economic policies just didn't really hit home with the public. They didn't believe that they were actually possible, I think. With, with it being, we talked about um, the national security issues, I think with it being a very metropolitan kind of middle class movement, they didn't really touch home on the kind of law and order um, patriotic issues that people kind of really res- resonate home with. So just looking at things like you kind of saw these fake news articles about him being a terrorist sympathiser, whatever, whether that's, that's an, an extreme example or kind of an exaggeration of the truth, the things that he's done that he just feels justified um, don't hit home well with kind of a lot of the people mm. outside of the middle class metropolitan communities. Mm. Uh, failure to condemn the Salisbury attack. I mean, it's all yeah. well and good. It's all well and good, like supporting these groups in other countries. But when you are defending groups who have attacked your own country, I think that's when people start. Yeah. With Salisbury as well is that I uh, I, I retweeted a thing because I you know I've been like kind of a fan of Corbyn, and I retweeted a thing where it was saying about how he was completely wrong on the whole Salisbury thing. I was at the train station, I think, when it was happening, and straight away I got, like, three or four people, like, inboxing me saying, like, why have you retweeted this? Like, Aah. it's just like, like, it was obviously Russia. Come on, like, the, the, it goes back to the cult of Corbyn, doesn't it? There's this whole yeah. cult that, as much as, you know, you know, I think he's he's got a lot of, like, good qualities, and there's a lot to like about him, but it kind of just boils down to, a lot of the time, people just don't like the people who like him. Mm. And it was like as soon as you criticize him, you'd get a lot of people talking about like how it actually is unbelievable, and you know Blair is the worst thing that ever happened. And so I think, I think that turns a lot of people off. Well, let's look, let's have a look at the age sort of because obviously you're saying about social media. I think Piers Morgan came out and was saying that Twitter lost the election. Yeah. Um, so obviously most more young people use social media than old people, and those, of those aged 18 to 24. 57% voted for Labour, whereas the 65 plus, 62% voted for the Conservatives. So that shows a massive sort of age gap between... The thing, uh, what the thing is, I saw this thing where the age where you're more likely to change, like you're more likely to vote Conservatives rather than vote Labour, it lowered. So I think it used to be about 45 or 46 at the last election. And in this one, it reduced to 39, which I think is a big thing to consider because it shows that Labour's not only starting to lose its like working class base, it's also starting to lose its, well, potentially anyway, its younger voters. I think, though, that what we're saying, like, 
it's starting to lose and things like that. In this election, it sort of just lost people. But it's important yeah. to note, while there was a huge landslide, um, and obviously that's down to a number of factors, as, we, as we've said, I think that if you look at the individual seats, the Conservatives aren't winning by a huge amount. What happened in 2017 was Labour kept a lot of seats, but the Tories gained a lot of votes. In yeah. this election, the vote share has just tipped the Tories over, over the edge in certain, yeah. in certain places, yeah. like Blythe Valley, for instance. So I, there is a chance that Labour could win them back. And there still was a lot of people who backed Labour in this election, despite their Brexit stance. But the issue is 25% of Labour leavers switched to vote to the Conservatives. Yeah. And that was enough to put, well, who voted for Labour in the last election. So that was enough to put uh, the Conservatives over the edge and get them the seats they needed. Well, Brexit is either like the gift to Labour or it's like terrible for them after this because if it doesn't go particularly well, which I think I'm probably sceptical that it will go well under the current plans um, as it stands, it has potential to go very well so the Conservatives could win the next election. But if it doesn't go so well, it could be very good for Labour because once Brexit sort of like in, in name finished in a way, then that means that Labour can sort of fight on the issues again. And I think they'd do a lot better on that. Um, the thing is, as we were saying, though, like a lot, a lot of the again, we're talking about Labour leave. Um, it's, it wasn't just Labour leave. For instance, Labour only took forty-seven percent of the vote among those who voted Remain. That's less than half. Uh, and the Lib yeah. Dems took twenty-one. The Conservatives still took twenty percent from yeah. those who voted Remain. Yeah. Well, as, as we've we've said before, I think that um, with the Remainers, there's not many people who actually were like agitating to stay in or like of the people who voted in in 2016 there weren't that many people who were like desperate to have another referendum and stay in because there's like a very small percentage of remainers who are like yes i want another referendum yes i want to stay in because a lot of people were like okay i'm done at this point just let's leave or they wanted to respect the result or they didn't particularly like the labor version of like remaining either their remain pledge wasn't very appetizing to anyone so yeah and you've got to, you've got to take into account the thirteen percent of Remainers from Lord a- this is from Lord a- Ashcroft's poll, who said that they just want to get Brexit. Sort of, they think the mm-hmm. result should be respected, whereas only five mm-hmm. percent of Leavers felt it should be would vote Remain for next time round. So they're, they're cutting their base short through the referendum route. So I think yeah. we've pretty comprehensively covered where Labour went wrong and what went badly for them. I think one thing to touch on. With the Lib Dems, so they went from what was it, around 7 to around 11% of the vote. So in terms of increasing their vote share, that's actually a, a reasonably impressive result. But in terms of where they probably would have hoped they could have performed in this election, both in terms of vote share and seats, I think they will have hoped they could do a lot better. Um, where do you guys think the issue has been there for them? Yeah, so I think the main issue with the Lib Dems is they expected to get a lot more Conservative Remainers on side and they perhaps underestimated party loyalty. 66% of Conservative Remainers voted uh, for the Conservatives. So that just shows that the Lib Dems couldn't win over the those Conservatives that they needed to win over to win seats in the South West, for instance. I have to admit that I, I stayed up till, I think it was about four, to wait in for, to see if Joe Simpson was going to lose their seat. And she did. And to be, and at first I was, I thought it was, you know, it was, I thought it was quite funny. But then her speech afterwards was actually very, um, she was very like gracious in defeat. So, you know, she's gained my respect for that, really. Because before, I, I have to say, I think one of the issues that Joe Swinson had was she came across very patronizing. 
And I think, yeah. like we come, like we come back to the whole presidential thing. Like you know, it's it's becoming more presidential. I got a flyer. Well, it was basically a magazine, in fact, in my uni house in Bath. I don't know if you guys got the same. You might have done. And mm. it had a big picture of Joe Swinson on the on the front, and it said the UK's next prime minister. I thought, what? Like, where yeah. where where are you getting this from? Like the po- like what are the polls telling you? Yeah. So I think uh, the Lib Dems did run a pretty bad campaign as well. They ran a terrible. They ran a terrible campaign. Worse. The worst thing was that, did you see the thing on the bus where it was Joe Swinson's Liberal Democrats? They literally tried to base the whole campaign around her. And her. Without and realising she wasn't she's that not, popular. Yeah, she's not particularly likeable. She just, she seemed to be, you know, Boris Johnson has a lot of problems and Jeremy Corbyn has a lot of problems with him. But I just found, I found Joe Swinson, maybe not the most unlikable, but the most annoying. Yeah, I think it speaks to that patronising point you talked about yeah. earlier definitely does have an air of that mm. the issue with them is their position screwed them over as well and you've got to think what could they have really done about it because you had conservative remainers who they needed to win over thinking oh well she'll just prop up a coalition with corbyn and the last thing these conservative remainers wanted was jeremy corbyn to be prime minister yeah. and then you had on the other side people thinking oh well she'll just prop up boris johnson so she was sort of undercut from both sides really i thought the, the position to move to revoke was a mistake because it's a very radical step and she's trying to win over voters who aren't that radical. Not only are you alienating every single person who voted leave, you're also alienating a lot of people who believe that the ref- referendum should be respected. Exactly. So you're cutting into a small base of support anyway. Um, it, there was no broad church within the Liberal Democrats in this election, no. for sure. So let's move on to next steps and what we think the effects of this election are going to be. So first of all, what do we think is going to turn out of the next kind of short period of time with the Tories in government in terms of the, the next stages of Brexit and the other kind of policies and things that they're going to implement or perhaps uh, row back on? I think they're going to pretty sharpishly uh, in the new year put through the, the bill, uh, the draw agreement everything. So... We're going to have Brexit on track, as it were, fairly soonish. Already seeing quite a bit of potential rowing back from Johnson and the Conservatives, particularly regarding some of the, the campaign pledges. The, the Hancock on BBC explaining whatever everyone had said about how 20,000 of those nurses yeah. were already in place. And yeah. doing an awful job of explaining that. So, I mean, it depends on if there's going to be a cabinet reshuffle in the new year and maybe some more sort of one nation liberal Tories end up in the cabinet, which would be, I think, a, a step in the right direction for Johnson if he's trying to make a more coherent sort of Brexit strategy long term in terms of the future arrangement. Because um, you don't want just the hardline liberal, like liberal and traditional trade sense um, Tories in your in your cabinet. You want a sort of a, a broader church so that you can have a more, I think, more coherent uh, economically Brexit policy. Um, so I think that's probably what we're going to be seeing soon. A lot about how these events in the North and in the Midlands are um, lended to them and how they need to kind of respect them and treat them kind of correctly. How do they couple that with the more traditional kind of economic policies that you spoke about some of the more, more right-wing members might want? How how do they manage to kind of please both sides of that? Well, I think, I think firstly, there will be a lot more investment in... They'll have to invest in the North. Conservatives have got a big issue because... They're appealing to demographics who are very, very different to each other. Uh, the only sort of, 
I think well, you've got the obviously the elite people who are very economically conservative and the people in the north now are very economically liberal. Um, so I do believe that he will have to start funding the north far more than he is. And he has put through the 34 billion pounds NHS bill. I think that will be one of his big priorities. Um, he will have to fund the north to keep those seats because, as we were saying earlier, it's quite marginal in those uh, constituencies. I think Brexit will have to be done straight away. I think there'll be a cabinet reshuffle relatively soon, a small one to start with, but then a big one. And if I was a betting man, I think Priti Patel will be uh, out of the job as Home Secretary. The top nine people wheeled out to do media appearances for the Tories were all men, and the tenth was Nicky Morgan, meaning that Priti Patel wasn't even in the top ten people to do media appearances. So I think that that shows she's being sidelined slightly. If you're choosing Nicky Morgan over anyone, you know that they're not very well trusted. I also think that the Fixed Term Parliament Act will go. And I think, as we've seen, that will be quite a positive step, really. I'm, I'm not, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a fan of the Prime Minister unilaterally determining when there's an election. However, f- from what we've seen, shows that the Fixed Term Parliament Act in its current guise doesn't work. Yeah, I think that, well, the Fixed Term Parliament Act solved a very short-term problem of the coalition. But it also didn't anticipate we'd go into a period where people couldn't win majorities. Um, yeah. And I don't think anyone thinks that we're now past that period permanently. So I think the Fixed Term Parliament Act realistically probably should go. The thing is, in usual times, the opposition would be pressured into like agreeing to an election. However, this opposition, they, they, they really didn't want an election. And perhaps you look at people like the Lib Dems, the Greens and the Remain Labour, by backing the election, they've well, they've ruined their chances of stopping Brexit because for a period of time they had Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the corner, really, didn't they? They could almost do what they wanted with him. However, now he's got an 80-seat majority. He's got the most united party in Parliament other than perhaps the SNP. He can do exactly as he pleases, and that's all because these MPs agree to his election. Well, what do we think will happen with the SNP now that they have such a... Absolutely nothing. For Mm. at least two years, nothing. Well, let's say Nicola Sturgeon's pushed for a uh, a second independence referendum, hasn't she? And and she's tempted to uh, perhaps go to the courts regarding it, which will be interesting. Do I think she'll win that battle? Probably not. I think it's hard to see where where the SNP go from here and how they get their referendum, because Johnson specifically said in his campaign, vote for Labour, that's a vote for Scottish independence referendum as well. So he really would not want to go back on that decision. Yeah, I think that's that's something that isn't sort of addressed very often in the uh, sort of like post-election analysis is the fact that in Scotland, like Labour were the big losers. They lost to SNP, so sort of like... Again, for the second time. Never won an election without winning Scotland or winning a significant portion of Scotland, so it's sort of... And that's partially because they, they position themselves in an almost like a anti-unionist position in in being willing to grant the SNP a referendum with McDonnell coming out and saying it it will probably be on the table. The Conservatives basically took up all the unionist vote and that's why they did relatively well even considering how anti-Brexit Scotland is. Yeah I think there's more of a danger of losing Northern Ireland in the Brexit process than there is losing Scotland. Mm. Um, Well did uh, you see Northern Ireland's got more nationalist um, MPs than unionists for the first time ever? Exactly. So I think that that's potentially what we might see before the end of the whole Brexit process would be 
Northern well Ireland reunifying because I think the the ties to the UK are weakening. I mean, the withdrawal agreement itself weakened them significantly, and I think that unionists being elected sort of tells you what you need to know about how people saw that in Ireland or Northern Ireland. The issue will be how where Labour goes. Well, I know we've talked we talked about the Tories, but how do Labour overturn that majority uh, without Scotland? Yeah. As you were saying, like they've ne- they've never won. What was your stat again? I can't, I can't remember. But, well, they've uh, they've never won an election without Scotland. Exactly, and that that now they've lost even some of their heartlands in the north. Yeah, it's going to be even harder to claw back. Yeah, from where and a lot of the Welsh vote as well. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean they did seem to fairly comprehensively lose a nice broad area of the UK. Um, but I mean, yeah, they can't do anything if they don't win back their like northern wall. Scotland and Wales. Tom, I think you forget an important point is that they won Putney. That is true, they did win Putney. Um, the, so, the issue is though, Labour Labour took these areas for granted. That's what this that's what our friend yeah, Ben who lives up there was saying. Yeah. And that's shown again, but I, I don't want to go back to Labour, but it's shown by their referendum position. Well, um, and... talk, talking about Labour, shall we go into what we think they need to do next? So starting off with what perhaps they need from a leader and then who we think the best leader for them might be. Well, looking at the odds, uh, obviously, Tom, you love to bet. Keir Starmer is 13 to 8. Rebecca Long-Bailey is 9 to 4. And Lisa Nandy has gone down from 6 to 1 to 3 to 1. In, in the course of you saying that, he did open up Bet365. I was going to um, get the odds up to check them, but... I yeah, sure, pal. <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, think, I mean, he's just betting. He's betting on the football. He's not betting on the bloody yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, what's the what's El Clasico score right now? Is it no one else? Oh, yeah. I don't Tom, know. But I'm going to pour it, some it? money on total corners and yellow cards. <laughs> That's how you know it's serious. <laughs> um, um, I I think uh, regarding the leader, I would quite like Starmer or Cooper. I think they're both fairly decent. I think the momentum's grip on power is very strong in the party so i think that it, i would be surprised if it wasn't a momentum backed candidate momentum need to be clever uh with backing someone because they'll probably back long bailey won't they with her being uh mcdonald's understudy but mcdonald seemed to be someone that even if people didn't like corbyn they thought he was all right and long bailey just doesn't seem to get that kind of respect at all really people just see her as a bit Incompetence. Speaking as speaking of McDonald, he told Andrew Marr recently it was time for a non-London MP, which seemed to rule out uh, his backing for Keir Starmer and Emily Thornberry, and he said he'd prefer someone else to Jess Phillips, which I think is very, being very political about it. <laughs> Thornberry would probably be a, a terrible choice to be honest, just because I, of I think also you would look at the, like the name recognition, like who has the name recognition in, in the Labour leadership to. Or they you know, top echelons of the Labour Party to become leader. And I think Starmer's one who has a lot of uh, name recognition. Whether or not you like her, Emily Thornberry does also have name recognition. Um, I think she I don't know if Long Bailey necessarily has it in the same way. Reportedly on the doorstep, a lot of people who said they didn't like Corbyn did say they did like Keir Starmer. I do think the problem with him is he's been very avidly pro Remain. Yeah. If Brexit is dealt with, and perhaps that won't be as much of an issue going into the next vote. But I could still see that being an issue because people looking back at this time and thinking, oh, well, he wasn't with us then. Mm. And that being a limit on his this amount of support, he could win back in those northern areas in the next election. I was just thinking what your um, 
thoughts are on Labour moving towards the centre ground. I think economic uh, Labour's economic policies were cited as the third most popular choice as to why they, yeah, why people who didn't vote for Labour didn't vote for them. But the thing is, individual policies are quite popular with people. For instance, a poll published by um, Populous found that 83% of people uh, support public ownership of the UK's water, 77% electricity, 77% gas, and 76% railway. Well, they so should reckon... do, because half the time, like, it's not just private ownership, it's private ownership by foreign governments. So it's kind of public ownership by a different bloody country. Yeah. And what it does show is there is some popularity for nationalising things. It's just yeah. the extent of what Labour uh-huh. tried to do, I think, is the main issue uh, for them. You even have people like John Lansman coming out and saying our, our manifesto was a manifesto for the next decade, not for the next government. And yeah, 12% of people said that they didn't vote Labour specifically because they thought the, the economic cost would be too high. But I think that that's more an issue with branding. I think that's more like how Labour marketed itself. And again, it's more of a failure of leadership. Because as you said, like the policies themselves are quite popular. It's just, and people have said, oh, it's because you can't, you can't cost it and you can't um, justify the, the, the pricing of it. And I think that, you know, that does get, that got said about Ed Miliband's manifesto as well. Even the Conservative manifesto, the IFS were like, they had questions about how he was going to um, cost it. It's just that I think that the Conservatives are also more effective in how they explain things away, certain people aside. Um, whereas Corbyn and Labour weren't very effective at explaining it convincingly. So whether or not well, people... The, I think the issue with the, the, IF, the, issue with the um, IFS is that they worried, they were concerned that the Tories, they, 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 they thought there'd be basically more tax increases to pay for it, basically. Um, whereas with Labour's, they specifically said this cannot be done within the next five years. And I, I think even la- when you have people like John Lansman from Menton saying, oh, all this stuff couldn't be done within the next five years and that would be a problem. I think that shows that perhaps you need to be less idealistic and less focused on the next 10, 20 years. And you've got to focus on proposals that you're going to do in the next five years. Um, if they're just solely focused on popular policies, like nationalising the railway, for instance, I, I, I think they'd make a success of it. But because nationalising the railways was caught up in other policy proposals that they tried to implement, such as tuition fees, people thought they were just giving away loads of free stuff that the country couldn't afford. Yeah, and I think that also if you're going to, you know, if they, if they were going to go with that, this is a, a manifesto for the next 10 years, well, they should have explained that. They should have been like, which again is back to the leadership point, is like, if you want to go down there, this is how we want to change the country. Explain how you're going to do that longer term rather than say, we're going to do all of this right now. Be like, oh, actually, yeah, we are going to maybe progressively lower tuition fees. Maybe we are going to nationalise we nationalised things over a longer term period, but they didn't do that. They just said we're going to do it straight away. It just made it seem less well thought out. Yeah, I, I think I think you're you're right there. Uh, but what I do think that was the benefit of this Labour manifesto is it's made the Tories move to a more 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 spending pledges. And I think when Corbyn's saying he'd won the argument, he did win the argument in the sense that austerity is now sort of over. Uh, the government has pledged to spend vast amounts of money, which they haven't spent in the past nine years. Uh, so, in, in, so Corbyn has had some success. Environmental in, uh, concerns as well. Exactly. Uh, uh, the Conservative government under Boris Johnson. Who would have thought that the, the Conservative government under Boris Johnson would be talking about being carbon neutral by 2050? 
Well, Boris Johnson was quite uh, pro-environmental when he was London mayor. Not as That's much as true. Steve Khan, but um, and and even if you look at Boris's tone in since the election, it's been far more sort of One Nation esque and more conciliatory. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, his message was literally just get Brexit done. And we were laughing in the debates, weren't we? Because anything Corbyn said, Boris basically responded with get Brexit done. <laughs> he didn't care. He like literally <laughs> didn't care about anything, did he? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Corbyn would be talking about how austerity is bad and, you know, how how Boris was a bit racist and Boris would be like, sorry, what? Get Brexit done. Never mind. And the, the crowd would love it. it. Yeah, it resonated with the average voter. And it did. And, it, and that's what one of the, like, you know, yeah, Corbyn being a bad candidate uh, also lost in the election. But Boris is simple because let's face it, the Tory manifesto was pretty bare bones. And the main thing was get Brexit done. And that's what won him the election. So I think. Well, I think they, they, the Tories learned from the mistakes of 2017 when Ma- yeah. May, Theresa May's manifesto was hated, basically. Yeah. Um, so I think it's Isaac Levido, who they, they've got a new chant, which we want you hearing at Glastonbury, which is, oh, Isaac Levido. I'm sure we'll get uh, Paul McCartney uh, chanting that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the, camp- the Tory campaign strategist basically identified the problems of the previous campaign, which was the lack of spend, which was austerity, basically. And rectified that, but kept the Brexit message of get Brexit done. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of tore Labour apart in the heartland. So, yeah, I hope I, I hope the Tory spending pledges work. But it just it does seem that they're being rolled back a bit already. You, you know, with um, this 50,000 nurse thing, it was already like from the beginning, it was said, well, actually, no, it's 31,000 nurses. And now they don't know how they're going to keep these 20,000 nurses that are already there. And so I think a... Labour, this is things that Labour needs to already be taking notes on. And exactly. I think that yeah. they need to, they need to, they're, they're in a weird position where they need to straddle the whole kind of, maybe not Corbynism, because Corbynism is now going to have a, a terrible uh, precedent under it. But they need to straddle this kind of far left, go back to the broad ch- church thing uh, under Blair. But the thing is, Blair's broad church ended up just being... I'm Blair, and I'll take us to war if I want to. And now everyone hates Blair because, you know, he, and everyone likes to point out that, you know, he he's the only person who's won an election. By the time of the next election, he'll be the only Labour leader who will have won an election in 50 years. But that's before people hated him. People hate him. And yeah, they can't I mean, Blair, go back to, to just idolizing Blair because... People don't like him, but also people don't like Corbyn. So they need to kind of make sure that they keep some good, keep a lot of radical policies while trying to uh, present themselves to everyone, which is going to be a very difficult task. Well, Blair's one of the reasons they lost the working classes. Uh, exactly. The working class move away from Labour started in 1997, dramatically. Yeah. Um, so that is a part. But the thing is, the issue with Boris, I found, was trust. He was making up the, the nurse figure was ridiculous, I thought. Because there wasn't 50,000 new nurses. And then people had trust issues about Boris's history anyway. The thing is with Labour, by, by presenting all these spending pledges, they had a trust problem also. Because people didn't think they could do what they were saying to do. If they'd perhaps gone a bit less um, idealistic, perhaps, then they, they, they might have put forward a manifesto that could be implemented in five years. And they could fully cost that within the five years. And then take voters away from Boris Johnson. And then I think also the, the trust thing is like, if you don't trust either, and like maybe people trusted Corbyn slightly more than they trusted Johnson, it's about also whether you like them. And if you don't like Corbyn as well as don't trust him, 
but you can like Johnson and not trust him, then obviously he's going to easily win against John uh, against Corbyn. How do you think Labour wins back these these voters from the north, from Wales, who are predominantly in working class occupations? And how do they straddle that with the intellectual liberal elite who were backing them quite comprehensively in London? Well, I, I think... know John- Johnson has his own problems in straddling now the Shires with Blythe Valley, for instance. He- he's going to have great difficulty in that, but also Corbyn's got to try and build a tough electoral coalition as well. I think that it's going to be um, getting by the Leave voters will be helped by leaving. Um, so once we've left, then the main classic heartland issues of you know the NHS and all that sort of stuff, Labour can start to win back their support again. Um, and there won't have to be this sort of straddling. And then I assume they're going to hope that the liberal liberal elite come with them with the uh, policies they're going to propose, such as like nationalisation, which seems to be fairly popular in sort of like London, university town sort of areas, as well as with working class families. Because a lot of people in working class occupations, like manual workers, are far more socially conservative than the socially liberal people in the, um, in the say, the London metropolitan elites. Um, perhaps social factors will play a big part in the next election from the Conservative side, because obviously Labour will pledge to spend a lot of money economically and the Tories no longer have the social incentive of Brexit. So it'll be interesting to see how they try and maintain uh, the coalition they currently have and whether they'll base it on a more socially conservative platform. Yeah, yeah I, think I think one of the things with Brexit was the fact that it was a vote it, it, it was a vote for change, wasn't it, Brexit? One of the big things about Brexit was that it was a vote for change. And I think austerity's finished, as you say. But if things still don't change with Brexit, which I can't imagine in places like Sunderland, like the Blythe Valley, I can't imagine these big industri- these industrial poor areas, working class poor areas, are going to do too well in the first say yeah. five years of brexit so if that change doesn't happen or if things get worse then i that's that's how labor needs to capitalize on that and these aren't big enough majorities to to basically make the tory to tories win in these constituencies these constituencies have no loyalty to conservatives whatsoever no. if anything they're slightly distrustful so when yeah. brexit is done and taken out of the way the conservatives own all the consequences to that as, as we were saying earlier and labor can Hit, hard, hit, hit home on these economic policies that are popular. I think Brexit needs to go incredibly well for the Tories to keep these these seats, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, that's no, that's no you know, wow. What incredible political analysis that was, Joe. But you, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, a, that's a problem that the Tories now have. They need to deliver Brexit like so you know even if it's just for their own sake of keeping a majority for the next government they need to deliver brexit well but the, i can't see much happening in the next five years it's, well then not the next year anyway 2020 nothing's going to happen do you think that electing a leader like lisa nandy who's the mp for wigan um so john mcdonald said not a london mp because he thinks that labor needs to get out of this london bubble and it is true that a lot of corbyn's shadow ministers came from london constituencies do you think an MP like Lisa Nandy, representing Wigan, and also has called for compromise on Brexit before, perhaps could she win over these sort of northern voters, perhaps? I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, look at look at what happened with Andy Burnham. People just kind of thought he was a bit 
bit boring, yeah. didn't it? Didn't they? So I don't know. It. And I it, think with Keir yeah. Starmer, people keep people keep saying that Keir Starmer's always part of this London bubble. He was the son of a nurse and a toolmaker, I think. Yeah. So perhaps he could play that to his advantage. And he 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 seems to be the one who is most on board with this whole. Um, you know, we need to keep a lot of Corbyn's radical policies because they were A, popular, and B, you know, we kind of actually do want to change the country, but also we need to incorporate more wings of the Labour Party and not just, like, cast out Blairites, like, you know, like Alistair Campbell. And we also need to be more competent in sorting out problems within our own party, such as anti-Semitism. So he does, he, I mean... And he's perceived as competent, I think. He's I think perceived as competent. I think with Long Bailey, she seems to not be. <laughs> the The issue with Long Bailey is she's too close to Corbyn, perhaps. And that yeah. that whole brand has now been proven. Well, especially if she's, yeah, she's John McDonald's protege, basically. But yeah. not as popular as McDonald. No, but I think, again, McDonald suffers with the same problem. He's too closely tied to this Corbyn yeah, project. Exactly. I think exactly. he said himself, like, this failure's on me. Yeah, he's going. He's going. So he's not in the ring. Thornberry's got way too many problems with her. She's basically just insulted every working class person on the planet. Um, I mean, she, she, I can't, I can't see her winning an election because the Conservatives can literally look at that. I think the welcome to Rochester thing with the England flag, which she took the mick out of. Then she described um, Caroline Flint's, well, allegedly, let's say. She described Caroline Strange's constituents as more dumb than hers. Uh, <laughs> I can't see her winning over these uh, working class uh, people. Yeah, I, well, I think that um, the Starmer could be a unifying figure. Um, I think that they've got to be careful with doing more of the same Corbynism. They need a significant sea change to sort of uh, be able to reputably say they're a different party now, reputably say they've learned from the mistakes of uh, this election. Um, I think Starmer's potentially enough of a difference. I think Cooper as well could potentially be enough of a difference yeah, for them to be Cooper able to do that. As well. I, just, uh, I think Cooper is with uh, with Cooper. She'd be very good as a mem- as the leader of the opposition, just standing across from Johnson. Just yeah. she's she's very good at rinsing people. Um, yeah. So it'd be quite good to see her just rinse Johnson. And they also both benefit from being kept relatively out of the limelight during the election. Um, yeah, Cooper was basically a backbencher, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. so because Corbyn, they didn't fit with the Corbyn agenda fully, it sort of helped to keep them out of the agenda, out of the limelight, which benefits them because they're relatively untainted by this election, I think, which means that they can sort of learn from it, improve on it, and um, sort of be the change the party needs. Starmer is, is... Yeah, he, Sorry, he, I think we're going to say the same thing. He's, he's tainted by his Brexit stance, isn't he? Oh, yeah. But sure. if Brexit goes badly... I mean, you don't want him to be saying, oh, oh, look, I told you so. But at the same time, if Brexit does go badly, that could play into his hands. Yeah. And, and like, the being tainted by your Brexit stance is better than being tainted by this election result, really. I think. Yeah. The issue is the moderates have never been really organised within the Labour movement, whereas Momentum, is whatever you say about them, they're a very organised and effective yeah. force. Yeah. And when they throw their weight behind a candidate and it's looking like, one of Angela Rayner or Rebecca Long-Bailey, they'll be very hard to beat. And the issue with Yvette Cooper is um, is that she is perhaps known to be a Blairite, perhaps. Yeah, well, perhaps. especially being Ed, Ed Ball's husband, yeah. However, yes, that, that could work in her benefit. He's very popular on Strictly. <laughs> Maybe she can get a popularity boost from Ed. 
think Keir would do back. well. On, I think Keir would do well on Strictly. To be fair, like he'd be quite popular with the uh, like you know the mums. So I was saying, know. I was so shocked. He's fifty-seven. Yeah, he looks very good for his age. He does he's look very old? good for his he's age. Fifty-seven, Tom. Impressive. Yeah. Wow. Maybe we'll have a uh, a pee milf. That sounds like <laughs> a great note to finish on. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that was a pretty interesting discussion. It, it, very much centered around labor and where they went wrong and where they can kind of perhaps move forward in the future and what they need to implement. So um, thank you for listening and we look forward to talking to you next time.